you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. It's Film Week on LAist 89.3. I'm Larry Mantle. Great to have you with us, along with critics Peter Rayner of the Christian Science Monitor and Andy Klein of AV Club. Well, this is the week that's been so eagerly anticipated with Oppenheimer from writer-director Christopher Nolan, who I'll be talking with later this hour, and Barbie from director and co-screenwriter Greta Gerwig. We begin with Oppenheimer, starring Killian Murphy as the Manhattan Project leader, the American scientist whose career went through a series of twists and turns that are dramatized in this uh, biographical drama. Peter, what did you think of Oppenheimer? Uh, it's a big movie, and I think it's mostly a very impressive movie. It's, it's three hours, and uh, uh, it's it's very ambitious. I don't think it, it achieves all of its uh, ambitions, but it um, you know it's nice to see a movie that is uh, scaled for a big general audience, since <laughs> you know super On a serious topic. So, yeah, you know that that really deals with. Um, Serious stuff, you know the uh, the, inter- the bloody intersection between uh, science and politics, the, the morality of warfare, uh, you know the limits of power, and 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 so much other you know deep think stuff. Um, Nolan is is you know of course known for his his mostly for his big blowout movies and the Dark Knight films, but I think Oppen- uh, J. Robert Oppenheimer is the father of the atomic bomb. Uh, is is sort of his ultimate hero martyr. You know, he's like the ultimate Dark Knight, um, and I think he's trying to uh, both explain who Oppenheimer was from the inside, and also to sort of create this 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 grand view of what he represented uh, in in that world in that era and in our era, because the whole notion of um, uh, you know the morality of 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 these bombs and and uh, you know and, and should we have made them should we should we you know what what to do with this arsenal that's been hanging over us ever since that a bomb test in in Los Alamos uh, is still very current with us as is this whole politicization of science and the way that that careers are destroyed because of uh, you know running afoul of the political hierarchies which was the case with Oppenheimer. Um, after the uh, after the A bomb, when he was uh, you know tarred in the McCarthy era for being a, a communist or communist sympathizer, all of this is in the movie. Um, Killian Murphy is. Uh, I didn't find as many people do that. There were a tremendous number of levels to his performance. I thought he was kind of a a uh, you know sort of intensely one note. Uh, actor, um, but he has that kind of famished, saintly look that I think Nolan is looking for, uh, you know, and he wears that pork pie flop hat, and, uh, you know, he's sort of like almost like a Western, Westerner anti-hero, uh, but I, I think it's a powerful movie, 
um, in spite of its flaws, uh, and also because it seems to make the personal into the epic, which is very difficult to do. We're talking about Oppenheimer from writer-director Christopher Nolan. Andy? Uh, yeah, I thought also thought this was very impressive, and I want to say that the three hours whip right by. I was it for me. This was not too long. That was my experience too, yeah. and I don't like long films, but I was riveted. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's 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 impressive, and it had some little things that bothered me, little exposition problems that I had because he's jumping around in time a lot. I didn't think the little surreal scenes worked of, you know, like suddenly Oppenheimer's feeling naked in in the interrogation room. Uh, But other than that, I mean, I think it's grandly ambitious. I think it's an ambition to be Lawrence of Arabia for now. And, you know, that's a really unfair comparison to make probably because Lawrence of Arabia is remains one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, but the cast is terrific. I thought Robert Downey Jr. was was ace, as was Matt Damon. All these people. I mean, it's almost too many recognizable faces, but it didn't bother me. Oppenheimer is in wide release. It's rated R. And again, Christopher Nolan joins me later this hour to talk about the making of Oppenheimer. Barbie, the other huge release this week from director Greta Gerwig. She co-wrote the screenplay with uh, her spouse, Noah Baumbach. The film stars Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Andy, what did you think of Barbie? This was also a very ambitious film in its way. Uh, Basically, we we start in Barbie land where everything is, you know, everything's bright pastels and it's totally artificial looking, which is makes perfect sense. Uh, and then about 15 minutes in, during a big dance sequence, Barbie suddenly says, do any of you think about death? <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the sound goes off the screen. And then she apologizes and she starts not being stereotypical Barbie anymore. Everybody's Barbie in this town, except for the Kens. And one guy named Alan, who's not really explained, but I think he's supposed to be a buddy for all the Kens and maybe gay. But that was not entirely clear to me. Uh, but she's stereotypical Barbie, and suddenly her 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 heels straighten out so that her feet are flat, and she starts seeing cellulite, and she. Fa- she ventures into the real world of Los Angeles, which, of course, they make jokes about going from this candy-colored paradise in Barbie land to the candy-colored paradise of Los Angeles. Uh, and Ken comes with her, which causes a huge complication because Ken, while they're in Los Angeles, discovers the joys of patriarchy. And Barbie sees that all the hopes that she gives to little girls, a lot of them end up in frustration. So it's, you know, it's trying to take a feminist stance. It gives a little bit of sympathy to the Kens who seem to have no identity other than to be there for Barbie and how alienating it is for them. It is very funny. Helen Mirren narrates and has, gets off a couple great lines. Uh, I, I fully enjoyed it. I think it got preachy towards the end. I think it tried to resolve the big issues of men and women and feminism 
a little too much. What do you think, Peter, of Barbie? I, I enjoyed it, uh, particularly um, in the initial Barbie Land scenes, which I think are really, it sort of reminded me a little bit of, of you know, Pee Wee's... Uh, Playhouse, yeah. <laughs> Playhouse, you know, uh, but without that sort of oddball undertone that the Pee Wee... Th- um, but, uh, you know, so all of that I thought was really, you know, funny and inventive. When they go into the real world... Uh, you know, as Andy says, it sort of becomes a different kind of movie in some ways. And, and it, 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 I think the problem is that Greta Gerwig uh, was sort of trying to thread the needle between, you know, people who really love and have a nostalgia for Barbie or love Barbie, uh, you know, in all her incarnations, and the feminists who, you know, feel that, you know, Barbie was, was you know, terrible, you know, body image, role model, all this. Uh, and so working in the, the feminist angle rather strongly, uh, I think, uh, is, is it, it tonally knocks the movie out of the box in some ways in the second half, uh, you know, when, when Ken goes back to the real world and it's, you know, Barbie Land becomes, you know, Kendom and all the bros take over. Uh, but even in the real world, at one point, Barbie confronts uh, the, a teenage girl who calls her a fascist and her mother, played by America Ferreira, who's a Mattel worker in the film, uh, has this long... Um, uh, speech, a screed about uh, uh, the woes of womanhood. You know, I mean, it really sort of turns into a different kind of film. And I think, you know, the, the bottom line is that even in Barbie Land, I don't think you can have it both ways. So it didn't, it, because it is a comedy, right? So I was wondering, yeah. like the screed you're talking about, it, that's, it's to make a point, but to have comedic effect too, right? Well, except in those two instances, it's, it's not played for laughs. Oh, okay. I mean, you definitely feel like, you know, this is, uh, you know, sisterhood is power and, and, and uh, you know, and toxic masculinity and patriarchy. All of that is not played for laughs. Uh, and so I think that's the disjunction. I think there was a way to put that into the film without, be, you know, coming down quite so heavy on it. Uh, you know, and, I, and, and the trailer is misleading because a lot of people say, oh, I want to see this, you know, wonderful pink-colored plastic yeah. hoo-ha. But it doesn't really uh, – that's not all it is. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because I don't think you can make a Barbie movie and forget about all the stuff that we're talking about. But I think there was a, a, a more light-fingered way to do it. All right. Barbie is the film we're talking about, starring Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. Greta Gerwig, director, written by Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach. It's rated PG-13 in wide release. The comedy The Beanie Bubble is the story of Ty Warner, the frustrated salesman who, uh, along with his uh, collaborators, came up with one of the biggest toy crazes in history, Beanie Babies. Uh, The film stars Zach Galifianakis uh, and Elizabeth Banks. The film is directed by Kristen Gore and Damien Kulash Jr. Andy, what do you think of the Beanie Bubble? Uh, this is an interesting film, and particularly talking about right after Barbie, because this is about another vastly popular toy that went berserk in the 90s, where people are trading them for tens of thousands of dollars. And it's relatively funny it's really kind of more of a docudrama about what a jerk ty warner was and how he built this company using the talents of various women and then cut them loose and betrayed them every time uh according to the end of the film the women all end up prospering and he ends up 
going to jail for income tax evasion. So I guess yeah, that's he had a, a rough landing, ending. I recall. Yeah, and uh, but he's it's weird because they almost make Zach Galifianakis be charming at times, which to me is an amazing feat because <laughs> he's the least charming person on screen ever. Uh, but it deals with the same kinds of feminist issues, but not really as deeply as Barbie does. Uh, but it's it's entertaining, and it whips right by. The Beanie Bubble, a comedy, is rated R. It's at the IPIC Theater in Westwood, and then expands to select theaters and start streaming on Apple TV Plus on July 28th. 20 Days in Mariupol takes us to Ukraine in this documentary as a team of Ukrainian journalists is trapped in the city as it comes under attack by Russian forces. The film is directed by uh, Stislav Chernov, uh, who is an AP journalist, and uh, this ultimately is going to be airing on PBS. Peter, what did you think of 20 Days in Mariupol? It's really powerful. It's a very, very powerful movie, and uh, some of it is is quite hard to watch because you see the, uh, you know, all of the main bodies and and and, and destruction in the hospitals and and, and on the streets, uh, in a very graphic way. Um, Chernov was was one of, of several journalists who were there uh, at the start of the invasion, the first twenty days of of the Russian invasion, and um, he. Uh, uh, you know, he, as as time goes on, things become progressively even more horrific. Uh, people are driven out of the neighborhood. At one point, uh, just confronts this old woman walking along the street who's who's been bombed out of her house. She has nowhere to go. You know, she's totally confused, and 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 she's representative of so many of the people who we see in the film. Uh, in the hospitals, is kind of a almost like a sickening tape loop of scenes in the emergency rooms with with you know the shattered, broken. Uh, you know, dead bodies uh, of, of of people, and you know, people in the rubble, mass graves. Uh, it's it's really, but it it demands to be seen, and it's also, I mean, it's so outrageous that you know, at one point, um, you know, the the filmmakers try to get the footage to AP, which is very difficult because the electricity, the water, you know, the internet, everything was pretty much down, um, and they had ultimately twenty five hours of footage that they had to to work with, you know, but at one point. Um, uh, one of the the, uh, the Russian ambassador is asked uh, about this footage that did 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 air, and uh, and he says, um, uh, "Well, it's fake news." And then he says, uh, "Who who wins the information war wins the war," you know. And hearing those words coupled with what we see is is just you know. Devastating. De- beyond devastating. We're talking about the documentary 20 Days in Mariupol. Uh, it's uh, going to be at Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. We'll hear what Andy Klein has to say about it when we come back. It won the Sundance Film Festival's World Cinema Documentary Competition. Coming up, we'll also hear about the uh, action-adventure comedy Mad Heidi, uh, Lakota Nation versus United States, a documentary that takes us to the Black Hills of South Dakota. It's Film Week on LA as 89.3 and as a podcast wherever you get your audio.
The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com slash sweeps. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Film Week on LA is 89.3. Larry Mantle with critics Andy Klein and Peter Rayner. Peter was just telling us about the documentary 20 Days in Mariupol, which takes us to the besieged Ukrainian city. Uh, Andy, what did you think of the doc? Uh, it's totally heart-wrenching. Uh, and uh, the fact that the Soviet uh, representative at the end says, oh, yes, these are all actors. He, he takes the, the Alex Jones line. When we've seen footage of massive civilian bombings, we've seen footage of injured baby after injured baby not being rescued, dying on screen. It's horrifying, and uh, I wish there was some way to, for it to get a really large audience, though it's not that kind of film. Yeah, and I do think it's going to end up on PBS. It's right now at Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica, 20 Days in Mariupol. It's unrated, but obviously the content here, very difficult to watch. Mad Heidi gives us the Swiss mountain girl of Heidi, but as you've never seen her before, uh, the film is directed by Johannes Hartmann and Sandro Klopfstein. Uh, They also co-wrote the screenplay with a couple of other writers. It stars Alice Lucy and Max Rudlinger. Andy, what'd you think of Mad Heidi? I loved Mad Heidi. Um, And if you're into... Absolutely. This is could be a classic midnight movie. Uh, it takes the few little facts that everybody knows about Switzerland. Cheese, chocolate, uh, Swiss Army knives, all this stuff, and builds this fantasy of a Switzerland that is ruled by an evil Swiss cheese magnate who's trying to take over the world. And Heidi... Uh, in the first scene is butt naked. So that that right there is having the original Johanna Spirey who wrote Heidi probably turning over in her grave. Uh, and Heidi becomes the great the great resistance fighter here trying to overturn this guy. It is really, really funny. Uh, it's referred to as a Swissploitation film. <laughs> Swiss and it, that's absolutely, you know, <laughs> what it is. And it incorporates all sorts of riffs from martial arts films, spaghetti westerns, and splatter films. There's a lot of splatter. Uh, if you're into that kind of thing, I thought this was one of the cleverest things of its kind I've seen in a long time. Well, just the, the label Swissploitation enough yeah. <laughs> is, <laughs> is enough. Mad Heidi is available for on-demand viewing at home. It's in English and Swiss German with English subtitles. It's unrated. 
The documentary Lakota Nation versus United States looks at the conflict over South Dakota's Black Hills. The film is directed by Jesse Short Bull and Laura Tomaselli. Peter? Uh, this is a powerful movie. It's uh, it's very informative. Um, it sort of lays out the whole uh, history of, of how uh, the Lakota Nation was, was, you know, screwed over multiple times um, by the U.S. government. Uh, the uh, 1876 treaty, uh, which supposedly legalized uh, the, the U.S., which was basically an intention to steal the Black Hills uh, from the Lakota, uh, the, the Mount Rushmore Hills, which were sacred. Of course, we know what happened there. Uh, and in 1980, there was the, uh, the, the Supreme Court U.S. versus Sioux Nation of Indians, where supposedly the hills were, uh, were paid for uh, to the tune of $106 million restitution, but the government still, you know, U.S. still kept the hills. Uh, so the Lakota has, has uh, you know, not taking the money, which with interest would be about $2.6 billion today. Uh, so, you know, what kind of restitution is it where, you know, we get to keep the hills and you, you get a you know, pittance. Uh, there are a lot of interesting interviews with, with a lot of the indigenous people. There's this one young guy who's very funny. He says, you know, look, we're, we're not talking about living in teepees. He's, I grew up with Tupac, you know, but, uh, but we just, you know, we want to, um, we want a future that works for us and for our, for our lives. Uh, inter- interspersed with all of this, a newsreel footage, clips from the usual uh, Hollywood Westerns, uh, poetry from, um, Longy, long soldier, a woman who reads her poetry. Um, it's all, uh, there was a lot of footage about the opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here, and it's all infuriating. Lakota Nation versus United States, the documentary from Jesse Shortbowl and Laura Tomaselli, is at Lemley's Royal Theater in West L.A. It also features narration by Oglala poet Lely Long Soldier. It's rated PG-13. Cobweb, a horror thriller starring Lizzie Kaplan and Woody Norman. Samuel Bowden is the director of the film, or Bowden, I guess I, uh, I should say. Uh, Chris Thomas Devlin is the screenwriter. Peter, what did you think of Cobweb? Well, it's very derivative and, and uh, pulpy, uh, but scary. Um, it's an uh, eight-year-old boy, uh, Peter, uh, lives in this old house with his sort of... Uh, uh, creepy adjacent parents and uh, he, he is you know here's knocking in the wall and he's not sure what it is and that leads to all sorts of scary stuff he's bullied at school uh, he has one sympathetic teacher uh, played by an actress with the great name of Cleopatra Coleman great name yeah and um, uh, so it's you know there's so many different mashups in this film you know Halloween uh, uh, the, the stepfather the uh, there's even a pumpkin patch in the family <laughs> in the backyard. You know, I mean, they don't they don't hide it. But it but it is it is scary. The, the ending doesn't really work. There is no ending. That's the problem. But um, you know, for this kind of pulp uh, uh, grade, B, not really B. I think it's more like a D. <laughs> uh, it's 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 pretty effective. And what do you think of Cobweb? I, well, I thought it was indeed really creepy and really scary. Um, it, it incorporates stuff, I have to say, for also from J-horror and K-horror films. You know, you have the long hair that is used as a weapon by the thing okay. that is stalking everybody. <laughs> what thing is that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think showing the face of the thing was a mistake, that you're better off not knowing what it looks like. But uh, but it, it's a grinder. It, it really does 
keep you freaked out. All right. Cobb Webb stars Lizzie Kaplan, Woody Norman, and Cleopatra Coleman. Samuel Bourdain is the director. Chris Thomas, Devlin, the writer. It's rated R in select theaters. Fear the Night, an action filler that stars Maggie Q and Kat Foster, written and directed by Neil LeBute. Andy, what did you think of Fear the Night? This is a strange film for Neil LeBute. I mean, this is your basic... Uh, home invasion thriller. A bunch of women in a cabin and a bunch of, of guys trying to break in to get money that they think is inside and lots of splatter, lots of violence. Uh, it it keeps you on the edge. I mean, it does work, but it is just, in another sense, another home invasion thriller. Well, and Neil DeBute, we think of as doing like adapted plays yeah. for movies and, and a lot of to- talking. But, but yeah, this sounds like a very change in, you know, big change in genre for him. Yes. <laughs> All right. Fear the Night is is the film. I mean, did it, did, you recommend it for people to well, see? Well, if you want to see a tense home invasion thriller, this one works. All right. It's available at Lumiere's Music Hall in Beverly Hills, also available on demand for home reviewing. Fear the Night is unrated. The action comedy They Cloned Tyrone stars John Boyega, Jamie Foxx, and Tiana Paris. Uh, Joel Taylor is the director, and uh, Taylor co-wrote the film with Tony Rettenmayer. Uh, they cloned Tyrone, Peter. Yeah, well, we earlier mentioned uh, Swiss exploitation. This has a lot of black exploitation in it. Um, uh, it sort of mixes tones and genres. Uh, the three actors, uh, John Boyega plays a, a kind of stone-faced drug dealer. Tiona uh, Paris. Paris. Yeah, yeah she's, um, she's kind of a, a sex worker who's obsessed with Nancy Drew mysteries. And, uh, and Jamie Foxx is a kind of... Uh, slickster pimp out of the black exploitation films um and the three of them get involved in a kind of sci-fi thing that uh you know involves government subterfuge and cloning and whatnot it it's a kind of jordan peelish yep. movie uh not as good not as the three actors are, are are fun to watch but i just thought it was kind of spinning its wheels a lot of the time and reminding me of better movies so is, is jamie fox uh Channeling a Superfly or the Mac or who? Well, yeah. combination sort of, except of ex, yeah, except he's not. He's sort of a uh, uh, a weak version of that. You know, he's he's, he's a loser. Oh, okay. Uh, he's a loser trying not to be super one cool. of those. Yeah, right, yeah okay. He's, but he's very funny. They cloned Tyrone. Uh, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, uh, almost exactly what Pete did. Uh, this is definitely an attempt at a Jordan Peele thing with its sci-fi and and uh, stylistic tricks but it's just not in the same league with even Jordan Peele's least impressive film Nope um it's kind of it drags on frankly i thought it could have used to be 20 minutes shorter well and and so you said it's sci-fi elements as well cuz already it's an action comedy but it's got sci-fi as oh, a part yeah, of it oh yeah because they cloned Tyrone oh, they cloned of lots of people <laughs> that's right there in the title <laughs> they cloned Tyrone is in select theaters it's also streaming on Netflix the film is rated R 
Have you got it yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd is about uh, Barrett uh, being kicked out of the hugely popular rock group. The film was directed by Roddy Bogawa and Storm Thorgerson. Andy, what would you think of Have You Got It Yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. Uh I'm not a Pink Floyd fan, except for the initial Sid Barrett phase. He was the founder and the leader of the group at the beginning for the first couple albums before they got massively popular. And uh, this is sort of a, a biopic homage to, uh, you know, a documentary look at how brightly he shone, shone, shined, and uh, how bad he fell. And a lot of it probably from dropping way too much acid. Uh, he just starts not functioning at all and ends up a very sad character, which makes it a sad film for those of us who love the Sid Barrett version. And do they Pink talk Floyd. with with uh, still active members yes. of Pink Floyd yes. about they're what all, happened? They're all in on this, I think. Yeah. And so, what do they? What's their thought on what happened? Do they think it was LSD, or what do they? They suggest that, uh, but, you know, it's hard to analyze those things. Uh, it's just that it got to a point where he was he would go up on stage and wouldn't sing the songs that he's supposed to sing. And so at a certain point, they just said, let's not bother to pick up Sid for this gig. And that was that. Have you got it yet? The story of Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd. The documentary's unrated, and it's at Lemley's NoHo in North Hollywood and Lemley's Monica Film Center in Santa Monica. want to talk about a film that we actually didn't get a chance to review the week that it came out, which was Independence Day weekend. And, and it ended up performing uh, just behind um, the latest um, uh, Indiana Jones film. We're talking about Sound of Freedom, which was produced by a Christian film uh, company that's had, uh, you know, varying success with, with, with Christian themes. Uh, product, but Sound of Freedom tells the story of Tim Ballard, who is a former uh, Department of Homeland Security agent. He conducts stings to catch uh, child sex traffickers. Jim Caviezel stars in the film as Ballard, and it's done very, very well at the box office. But in in what uh, has been a lot of the writing that's been done about this film has has pulled in Jim Caviezel's comments about QAnon and conspiracy theories around child abduction. Peter, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, how appropriate is it to, because the film doesn't get into QAnon or stuff like that, to bring in someone who's, you know, a star of the film, their personal beliefs into the film itself? Well, I think... If there is a clear demarcation between what's going on in this person's life and their beliefs and what's on the screen, then I don't think it's really fair game to go after the personal stuff uh, or the personal political stuff because, at least if you're a film critic, uh, you're, you're looking at what's on the screen. But it's easier said than done. I know that there's this, been this whole debate for a long time about you know filmmakers, Polanski, et cetera, and you know, how do you separate out who they are from their films, and a lot of people are just outraged to even deal with that. Uh, uh, you know, there are many great artists who have been, you know, terrible people. Now, in the case of, of I have not seen the film, um, I think that if, 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 if a, a, an actor is going to go on a talk show and talk about QAnon and stuff like that, 
um, then my instinct would be to look back to the film and see if there's any reflection of that in the film. And if there wasn't, then I would sort of grudgingly dismiss it. So you'd feel like you'd have to see the movie to make that call. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Talking about Sound of Freedom, a film that came out a few weeks ago and performed extremely well at the box office. Uh, The uh, film uh, done by Angel Studios, which has done a number of Christian-themed films. Coming up on Film Week, I'll be joined by Christopher Nolan, writer-director of Oppenheimer. It's Film Week on L.A. is 89.3. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever. And how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.